We begin with a couple of more stories about different people that need to undo their vows. And then we're going to get to the next Mishnah, which is when someone makes a declaration uh, prior to him making a vow, saying, the vow that I'm going to make will be null and void. How does that work? All right, we just saw a story where uh, Rabbi Shimon made a neder and he went to the rabbis and they kept trying to find a petach, an opening, and said, did you have this in mind? And he said, yes, I had all these things in mind until they went from shade to sun and sun to shade and they gave up on him. And then uh, Botnit uh, said, well, would you have made a vow had you known that you would give the rabbi so much trouble? And he said, no, then I would not have made the vow. And based on that, they were able to absolve the vow. We see next a similar case. Rabbi Ishmael bar Rabbi Yosef havale nidra lemishra. This Rabbi Ishmael had a vow that he wanted to dissolve. Atalekamayhud Rabbanan. So he came to the sages. Amru lena dart adata dehachi. Amar lehu in. He said, "Did you have the following in mind uh, that when when you made the vow, right? When you said I'm not going to have sugar, did you have in mind this salad dressing that actually does have sugar in it?" He says, "Yes, I had that in mind. I knew that it has sugar, and I made the neder anyway." They asked him another thing. Did you have this next thing in mind? He says, yes, I had that in mind also. I covered all the bases. And they went through this many times. Now over here, in uh, that's all we have in, in this version. In the Vatican manuscript, uh, it has here that they went from sun to shade and shade to sun. In other words, this section that was uh, misplaced before, it was a, just a double in the previous story. And what was it doing there? Why double something for nothing? Um, actually, what probably happened is that it belonged, this section belonged in our story, and somehow it was simply written in the wrong spot in the printed edition. So that, that probably explains why it's doubled here, because we do in fact have a similar story where it does belong. All right, from there went to sun to shade, and shade to sun, if we stick that in here. And uh, eventually, uh, a certain launderer, a commoner, uh, a laundryman saw what was going on. The rabbis are getting all exasperated. They're trying all day long to find some kind of opening, something that this uh, Rabbi Shmael didn't think of when he made the vow. Uh, unforeseen circumstance. And so this launderer got so upset at Bishmael for bothering the rabbis, so to protect their honor, he took some launderer's tool and hit Rabbi Ishmael on the head. Uh, we're not sure what this is, but it could be uh, something like this, a strainer. Uh, this looks like it's pretty hard uh, wrought iron metal. That might hurt a bit. All right, and so he hit Bishmael on the head. And then Amar Adata de Mache di Kasra la Nadri Vesharyel Nafshe. Then Bishmael had an idea, got knocked into his head. He says, Oh, had I known that because of the vow that I made, eventually I would get hit on the head by this launderer, then I never would have made the vow. And based on that, he was able to, to dissolve his vow. This could mean he dissolved his own vow. There is a problem of a person dissolving his own vow, so this could mean that he found a way to dissolve his vow that he um, suggested to the rabbis, who then dissolved his vow. So again, another funny, ironic story that the uh, very effort to uh, the 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 um, uh, uh, failed effort to absolve the vow was itself the opening that they used to undo the vow because they uh, got hit on the head. 
All right, now we have a question on the story. Says we have a problem with this petach in that it's nolad. Here's the concept. Nolan means something, a totally new circumstance that no one, even in their, in, in their any imagination, would have uh, conceived of. And so in this case, there's no possible re- way that anyone would have conceived the idea that when I made the vow, I would eventually come to try to undo it, bother the rabbis, and then some launderer overhearing what would happen would come hit me on the head. And there's a general rule that when we look for an opening, it has to be something that is within the realm of normal possibility that a person should have thought of. So in the sugar example that I'm not going to eat sugar, people you should have have should know that there's desserts in sugar, there's desserts in food, there's dessert, there's the sugar and there's sugar in food, there's sugar in salad dressing, right? There's, people know that there's sugar in all these things and therefore they should have been uh, they could have been aware of it and the fact that they didn't think of that circumstance and they made the vow anyway, that would be the, uh, a good reason to say they made the vow under false pretenses. But if it's a very far-fetched possibility um, uh, that a person, were, you know, would cut, someone would come and say, did you know you would get some disease? And because of this disease, you'd have to say, take this pill that has some sugar in it. This is, that is such a, a remote possibility that you cannot use that um, of some rare disease, whatever, and um, and you'd have to have uh, this item that has sugar in it. So therefore, no one would possibly even imagine that item. And therefore, since it's so far-fetched, we don't consider that to be um, taking the vow under false pretenses because no one would have imagined such a thing. So here too, that's the problem, right? They asked them all kinds of regular questions, but uh, you can't use this nolad, this new circumstance. How often does it happen that a launderer comes and hits you on the head because he's upset at you. This is not something that anyone would predict, and so it's not a valid reason to undo the vow. Amarle, so this was Ravacha's question. He asked Ravina, and Ravina responded, Hi, love no This is not so uncommon um, because we always find that there are heretics, like a uh, picore, maybe comes from Apikorsim, uh, yeah, Apikorsim, Epicurus, the uh, famous Greek philosopher that the rabbis did not like very much. There's always people that are uh, mocking the rabbis and they come, even hit them over the head. That, although it's a somewhat remote possibility, it is within the realm of imagination and therefore is not called nolad. Next story. Debitu berata. The wife of Abaye had a daughter, probably from a previous marriage. She was earlier married to Rav Chista and then married to Abaye. Uh, so he has, she had this, uh, she had this daughter. Who amar lekrivai? He amara lekrivai Abaye said, "I want her to be married to one of my relatives. I want, I like she's she's a great uh, catch." I want one of my cousins or someone to marry her on my side. And she says, no, I want her from someone on my side of my family, one of my cousins. Uh, so now they're fighting over this. Who's going to get to marry this daughter of Abaye's wife? 
And then finally, the Abaye made a vow. He vows that any of a benefit from me will be prohibited to you if you go against my my view and you marry her to your one of your relatives. Right? If you go ahead and marry her off to one of your relatives, then you can have no benefit from me. Alright, so that once that vow is in place, that's pretty strong and she's probably would be scared and they you know they're gonna have a problem in their own marriage and so she's not gonna do it. But she was strong willed and she didn't listen to this vow. She went against his command and she married her daughter off to one of her relatives anyway. Now, Abaye, after that, actually felt bad. He didn't want to divorce his wife. He didn't want to have be in a fight with her forever. So he wanted to undo the vow. Yosef said, Had you known that she would go against your, uh, defy your will, and she would marry off her daughter to her own relative, would you have ever made the vow? Would you have wanted to actually separate from your wife if she had uh, married off her daughter to her own relative? He says, no, I never would have made the vow had I known that she would uh, violate. I thought that once I said that, that would uh, scare her, and then she would uh, let it go, and I would marry her off to my relative. Uh, so I, I didn't want, actually, to go through with the threat. Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef said, oh, since you never wanted that, and you wouldn't have made the vow had you known, uh, therefore it's permitted, and he, he was able to absolve the, bow, the vow in that way. Okay, that's super interesting. This, by the way, is different from the case in the, previ- in the previous Mishnah, uh, which was when he says, um, you know, I'm not going to sell this for less than four. But in that case, you don't even have to absolve the vow because even at the time that he said it, he knew he wasn't he was going to sell it for less than four. Saying, I promise I'm not gonna sell it for less than four coins is a way of saying, I'll sell it for three. because um, that's the normal way of negotiation. Whereas here, at the time that he said the vow, he really thought that his wife is not gonna defy his will, and so the vow would be binding. Um, and well, it, the vow would be binding, but the the uh, the um, condition would not be triggered. Now that the condition was triggered, he was a surprise. Now it's not like a no lad; it's not a total surprise. It's within the realm of possibility that he uh, that one could think that this would happen. But had he known that she actually would go go against his will, he would not admit, not have made the vow. And therefore, he um, he does not mean it. He didn't mean it, and we can undo it. Okay, now we ask, are you allowed really to undo a vow like this? And we say, in, um, uh, I mean, it's a kind of surprising thing because the, uh, you know, I said, if this, then I'll want to make this vow. And then that happens. Well, how did you know that, that, ha- that, that the, the trigger would happen? Then you would have made the vow? So this is, you know, you can almost undo any vow like this. So can we do such a thing? Vehatanya. So he says, indeed you can. Here's a Braita that shows a similar case and is valid to undo a vow in this way. A certain person vowed that his wife should not go and make Aliyah on the holiday uh, to go to to go to Jerusalem on uh, Pesach or Sukkot. He didn't he didn't want her to go, so he makes a vow 
that you know you'll be prohibited to me if you go and she decided i'm going anyway she wants to she wants to be in Yerushalayim for the holiday husband if you had known that your wife would defy your will and go uh, make aliyah on the holiday would you have made this vow and made her prohibited to you? He said, And the husband said, No, I never would have made the vow if I really thought she was going to go through with it. I thought it was just you know, using it to scare her. I didn't think she was going to do it. I don't want to be prohibited to her. And so, based on that, Abiyose permitted it. So that's in exactly the same case where someone triggered the very vow that he, the, the very vow that he made on the condition, that condition was triggered, but then he realized he doesn't actually want to, the consequences uh, to go through, um, and uh, therefore it's uh, null and void. Okay, this is a really interesting story because they're making Aliyah Laregel. Usually when we think of that, we think that the, we think of the Bet HaMikdash is there, and you make Aliyah Laregel, and you bring Korbanot, sacrifices, and it's a very nice thing. Whoever heard of making Aliyah Laregel, going to Jerusalem on the holiday, after the Bet HaMikdash is destroyed. But this case is talking about Rabbi Yoseh, a Tana. So this is a Tana who lives after the Bet HaMikdash is destroyed. So what kind of Aliyah Laregel is there? And the answer is, this is a great proof that there is a mitzvah to go to Jerusalem on the holidays, even when there's no Bet HaMikdash. Nowadays, you're going to go and you're going to pray there and learn Torah there and uh, be part of the people and celebrate. So that itself is a mitzvah. So this is a, a wonderful source for going to Jerusalem even today. All right, that ends those series of um, wonderful stories and really bring to life what vows were all about and how people uh, often, probably usually, felt bad that they made the vow in the first place. Mishnah. Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov Omer, Af Rabbi Eliezer is going to add another case, af also, someone who wants to make a vow against his friend in order to encourage that friend to come eat with him, right? You better come and eat with me now, right? Come and join me for a meal, or else I'm going to prohibit you from ever coming into my house again. Something like that. Um, uh, so if he, if he says that, but he doesn't really want to make such a vow. He wants to say something that will encourage his friend, but he doesn't act if his friend doesn't come. He doesn't want the consequence of then he's never going to be able to, 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 to come in again. So what should he do? He should say beforehand, any, any vow that I'm going to make um, will be canceled. So he should go, you know, the day before, right before, and maybe tell a different someone else, a different friend, hey, listen, tomorrow, I know this guy's going to come, I'm going to need to make this vow, but I'm telling you right now, I don't mean it. And then that way, later on, uh, when he makes the vow, it will be null and void. But this only works that he remembers at the time of the neder that he had or made this declaration, uh, moda'a, you can call it a declaration that uh, the vow that I'm going to make is null and void. If you remember that while he made the vow, then it's valid. Okay, that's the simple reading of the Mishnah. 
the Gemara is going to have some problems with the simple reading and is going to end up splitting it into two cases here. It's also going to be split, end up uh, changing these, uh, uh, these words at the bottom, uh, at the end, that he remembers to not remember. Okay, so let's see how the Gemara analyzes it. Since the host said, um, any neder I'm going to make will be canceled. The Gemara now is assuming that when he says that declaration, he's saying it in front of the guest, right? So he's telling the guest, come, come in, come have a meal with me. And then the guest says, no, no, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not hungry now. I'm not going to come now. And then the host says, listen, I'm about to make a vow, but the vow I'm about to make is null and void. And I make a vow that you uh, must come now or else you can never come in here again. So if that's the case, then he, then the guest is not going to listen to him and is not going to come in because he just heard the host say that he doesn't mean the vow that he's about to make. So in that case, it would be, it would be no point in the host making the vow if he just said out loud that he's not going to make it. Now, a simple solution to this is not that he said the nullification uh, declaration in front of the guest, but rather he said it beforehand. He said to his wife, listen, this guy's coming. I'm going to make a vow but I'm not going to mean it, right? Then uh, that would make sense. But the Gemara doesn't understand it that way. Instead, the Gemara is going to split the Mishnah into actually two different cases as follows. If a person wants, uh, the host wants a guest to come over and the guest is refusing and the host makes a vow, says you better come or else I make a vow that um, you can never come again. That is called uh, a neded of um, exhortation, of, um, of encouragement, similar to the, the one we had before. This is the same category as the one that you're making a negotiation on the price. And therefore, that does not need to be nullified at all. Um, okay, even though this is not the obvious explanation of the Mishnah, could be that the Gemara is going through this exercise on purpose in order to actually disagree with the Mishnah. According to the Mishnah, the result would be that if a host wanted to make a vow to, of encouragement uh, for his guest, he would actually have to make a declaration beforehand that it's going to be null and void. If he did make that, make that declaration, then sounds like the vow would be binding. Not quite the same as the negotiation where everybody knows that you say that, um, and this one might be different because it does put, that, can put them together, right? Because that's it's all, if, if it's all one halakha, then it's not null and void. So it could be that, be, that the Gemara wants to be lenient on that, that, that host, and even if he doesn't make a declaration, it's still null and void because that's the way people talk. Um, they, everybody knows you don't mean it when you make such a vow, and so therefore separates it into two uh, halachot. So I think that's why it asks this question, even though there's a more obvious answer, because it actually wants to get to this, this response and this new reading. Okay, so that's halacha one, that a host can say such a vow, and it's already, everyone knows, it's, uh, he doesn't mean it, and it's null and void. And in general, if you want to be able to make some certain vows all year long and you don't want them to be fulfilled, right, even not the, the, those types of vows of negotiation, um, you, what you should do is on Rosh Hashanah every year stand up and say 
all vows that I will make throughout the coming year should be null and void. And then you don't have to worry about all the vows that we make. And this is, in fact, the source, number one for Kal Nidre, Yom Kippur, the vows that we make, and also the Hatarat and Darim that we do just before Rosh Hashanah. We also have a Moda'a section at the end, a declaration section that says all vows that we're going to say in the future should be null and void. That one is actually better because in the Kal Nidre, we're not saying it in front of a betin, but the one, the other one, the moda'a, is in front of a betin. Although, according to this, doesn't doesn't necessarily have to be in front of a betin. Sounds like one can just say it to uh, to a friend or even to himself. Listen, I don't mean it because it depends on the person's um, mindset. And as long as you say that in the beginning of the year, so then you're set all year. Okay, good. But now the end of the Mishnah is complex because it says, as long as you remember it at the time of the Neder. When you make a Neder, any time during the year, and you don't want it to be valid, you have to remember at the time you make it that on back on Rosh Hashanah, I made such a declaration. And therefore, have in mind that this is null and void. Okay. So fine, you have to make, you have to keep that in mind. Now, I'm not going to say, wait, then wait a second. There's a reason to say the opposite. If he remembers that he made such a declaration, and nevertheless the guy goes ahead and makes a vow, doesn't that mean that he actually wants to uproot that declaration, that condition that he made? The condition meaning, uh, if I ever make a vow, it should be null and void. So by making a vow, then he's showing that I don't want that that that, uh, that to have in mind. If he in fact remembers it, um, you know, usually people make a vow like out of anger, and so when he's making out of anger, he's not having in mind, oh, I made that I made that declaration, uh, so the following will not be uh, valid. Person wants to wants it to be valid, and so by making the vow, he's undoing the declaration. So actually, it should be better if he doesn't remember that he made the declaration. Uh, Change the words of the Mishnah and add in a not. As long as he does not remember at the time that he made a declaration. In that case, then it works. If he comes and makes a vow, in anger, whatever reason, and uh, he wasn't thinking of the Kalnidre that he said, um, and then afterward, then afterwards, he says, "Oh, I, I shouldn't have made that vow." Don't worry about it. You don't have to undo it. Didn't you say Kalnidre? Oh, yeah, I did say Kalnidre. Okay, then you're good to go. So it's actually better if he doesn't remember that he made the vow than if he does remember it at the time and makes the vow anyway. Okay, um, this again not seem to be the simple reading of the Mishnah, but perhaps once again we're bring we want to be lenient on people. Because if every time someone has to remember at the time that they make a vow that they made the Kal Nidre, then that people usually don't remember uh, that and have it have in mind. So this way it actually gives a blanket undoing of all vows, uh, even if you don't remember. Okay, so that's Abaye's interpretation. However, however, we have one more interpretation. Rava Amar. Rava seems to say, well, you can't just change the word, add a, uh, a not, uh, love in the into the language of the Mishnah. Right, add the word bachelo, add the word law. So instead, he has a different interpretation that uh, adds a little bit of complexity uh, complexity to the case. Leave the Mishnah as it is, that you have to actually re- be remembering something when you time them at the time you make the vow. But what exactly do you have to remember? Mishnah talking about the following case. On Rosh Hashanah, he said, uh, in the following year, 
any vow that I make regarding not eating, drinking wine, it will be invalid, right? He makes some kind of specific condition in that initial declaration. Or he said, uh, any vow that I make this coming year regarding bread, that bread should be prohibited, I don't want to do that, right? Because I know in my experience, I do, I make vows like that. I want them all to be null and void. The thing is, after Rosh Hashanah, sometime during the year, he doesn't remember what he made that condition on. Did, he, did I say any vow about wine or any vow about bread? I don't remember what the condition was. So, so I know I made, a, I made a declaration. I don't remember the contents of the declaration. And all of a sudden now, some months later, he's in a position that he's about to make a vow regarding bread, right? This bread is going to be prohibited to me. Now, if he remembers at the time that he's about to say, this bread should be prohibited to me, and he remembers, I made a vow about something or other, and whatever I made, that, that condition should apply to the following vow that I'm making now. So if I vowed about bread, that, that those would be null and void, then what I'm about to say will be null and void. If I vowed about wine, then now I'm talking about bread, so it should go through. I just don't remember what it was, but whatever that declaration was on Rosh Hashanah, I want that to be fulfilled and continue in what I'm about to say. In that case, if it turns out that he had said, he'll remember sometime later, right? Uh, someone will remind him um, that he had made a vow about bread and now he makes a vow about bread, then it's null and void because he already made a condition. Any vow I make during the year about bread should be null and void. Now he made a vow about bread, so it's null and void. And he had in mind that whatever he said on Shana should apply now. That is the case of the Mishnah that says as long as he remembers. So he remembered something and had in mind the condition and wanted it to apply. However, But if he did not say, I want this to apply uh, with taking into account what I said on Rosh Hashanah, if he doesn't say that and he just makes the vow, then that means that he um, uh, he's undoing the intention. Even if he said on Rosh Hashanah, "I want to, um, uh, I want to, uh, any vow that I make about bread should be null and void." But now at this point, he didn't say uh, the following vow is going to be based on that condition. Instead, he just said, "This bread is prohibited to me." Then that that's the case that's similar to what Abaye said. In that case, he is by saying this bread was prohibited to me. He's showing that he doesn't care, and he's uprooting the initial declaration he had said before. Um, and so, therefore, his original condition, his original uh, declaration, is null, and the vow that he makes will in fact apply. He's up, and it upholds his vow. Um, all right. So that's Rava's interpretation. Of uh, of the Mishnah, so he partially does agree with um, uh, with Abaye, uh, partially not. Okay, Rav Huna really liked this uh, the statement of Rava, and he said, "Oh, I I would like to teach this in my public lecture." A pirka comes from the word perek, right, meaning a certain section, whatever section of Torah, whatever they're teaching or or Mishnah. 
Um, and these were big public lectures. The rabbis often had, uh, had, had small classes. They would bring their students and they would study together in the small group. Um, and when the small group was a very high level uh, study, but then on uh, Shabbatot and on uh, holidays, the rabbi would gather in all the whole public, including their students, including sages and commoners. Everybody would come uh, to the Pirka. And every, anything that the sage said at the Pirka would be um, publicized as Halakha Lemaaseh. It was official. Um, kind of like uh, Rav Avadja Yosef, when he gave uh, on Saturday nights at Yazdin, he would give these lectures. They were a combination of Agadah and Halakha. The Pirka also was a combination of Agadah and Halakha. You want to bring the masses in. And anything that Chama uh, Vajah would say in those lectures would be Halakha Lemaaseh. You can go quote them. right? He said in the lecture, not like he was just talking uh, you know, with colleagues. Um, and so therefore, Rav Huna said, I would like to establish this as the official halacha and announce this law in public. But Rav told him, Rav told Rav Huna, no, do not announce this in public. The Tana, the author of our Mishnah, um, concealed this law so that the public would not treat vows lightly. And you're going to go and announce it in public? Okay, what is he talking about? It seems not to be talking about the this specific case that Ava mentioned, which is an unusual case um, and wouldn't come up often, but rather the basic halacha of the Mishnah, that if you want uh, your nedarim in the future to be null and void, just say at the, at the beginning of the year, any neder that I will make will be null and void. Right? We, uh, the chassur uh, the added the word in, right, that you could do this once a year and say on Rosh Hashanah, all my vows for the future will be null and void. Do not tell the public that they can do this because if you tell them, they're going to be like, oh yeah, what a great idea. And then every Joshmo will just go on Rosh Hashanah, say all my vows for the year are null and void. And then all year long, they're going to be making vows and cursing and promising and threatening and all that uh, to their wives, to their business partners, to everybody. And this is very bad thing because we don't want people to treat vows lightly. Um, It's not a proper thing to do. And therefore, don't say this in public. It's in the Mishnah, but the Mishnah just said it in a very quick way. It didn't say that you do this once a year, forever, right? It just gave like one one little example. We're the ones that just uh, elaborated on it. If you do it once a year, and then do you have to remember it or not remember it? So therefore, you know, this is for the sages. Uh, if the person is responsible and knowledgeable and will treat it correctly, okay, you can use, uh, it is a valid uh, strategy, but not to be taught in public. All right, this is fascinating. There will be some halachot that the rabbis would keep private and not teach to the public. Also, it's interesting that even though this is actually in the Mishnah, this shows that the Mishnah was meant for uh, for the sages to study. It was not necessarily something that everyone was expected to study, or if they did, the rabbis would be teaching it to them and explaining it to them, but when they explained it, they didn't always reveal all of the secrets in it, right? The Mishnah contains secrets that the sages know, and then they explain to those who uh, would benefit from the explanation, but some Sometimes uh, better for them not better for the entire public not to know something. In that case, he told he told them, no, do not teach this in the pirka. Baruch Adonai Amen, amen.